0: Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for attending my real true crime story, Bo Deedle's Real True Crime Stories. And when you talk about crime, there's a f- couple of people that know crime. Better than anybody that's ever ever dealt in it, and it's uh, and I I do say it not lightly. Uh, a friend of mine, his wife's a friend of mine, and uh, one of the uh, great New York City police commissioners that we ever had in New York City, uh, Bill Bratton. Bill, thank you for being on the
1: show today it's great to be with you. All is well.
0: Yeah, so I'm just going to give a little background. I guess everybody knows about you. And yeah, you were two terms, the New York City Police Commissioner, and you are also your former uh, uh, Commissioner of the Boston Police Department. And then you were quite a few years out there in L.A. where I come to visit you a couple of times. And then you were involved with the Homeland Security. You were Chairman of the Homeland Security Advisory Council, which is a, a great honor. And Uh, Vice Chair of Homeland Security for many, many years and, uh, you know, part of the things where you were involved during some of our really trying times as being the commissioners in New York city and also out in LA and all that. And, uh, you know, we're going to go into a couple of things here as far as what's going on now, you know, with the advent of what's going on where they just got rid of, uh, not got rid of, she left our new police commissioner. And, uh, I'd like to know how you feel about that, but a little bit more about you first. How, I think you're the author. How many books uh, Bill?
1: Uh, there are three now, all uh, co authored The first one, uh, 1998, was a biography after I had left as commissioner the first time. I thought yeah. my police career was over. I would worked with Mayor Giuliani. I was his first police commissioner, and together we were able to knock down the crime situation in New York by about 40 percent, homicides over 50 but then in 2002, uh, after working in the private sector for a few years, in your world, security, uh, I went back to the uh, LAPD. I applied to take, become chief of police there and worked there for seven years. Had great success there also. Crime reduction, improved race relations. We got a consent decree complied with that they were struggling with. Came back to New York, uh, private sector again, worked with the coal company, security once again. But then in 2014, Mayor uh, Blasio, uh, when he won his election, asked if I'd become his police commissioner. So I was his first police commissioner, and then two of my colleagues were his uh, my successors, Jimmy O'Neill and Dermot Shea. Mm-hmm. And uh, both both terms were very successful. When I left in 2016, mine was continuing to be down for well over 20 years since uh, working with Giuliani, and in 2018. Uh, the safest crime year in the history of New York City, Bo. Uh Overall crime was down by 80% in the city. have been going down through a succession of mayors and police commissioners uh, every year. And uh, 2018, overall crime down 80%. Homicides down by almost 90%. Uh, safest the city's ever been. The disorder was under control. Drug dealers were gone. Prostitutes were gone. Uh, subways were safe. Six million people ride the subways every day, and there were six reported crimes a day, one of the main chance of being the victim of a crime back in
0: 2018 I rem- uh, I remember remember the years very well you know after I retired uh, 38 years ago I started the company so I'm in the city every day so I've, I saw exactly what you did you did one of the greatest jobs that any commission has ever done and you were able to decrease all the problems with the crime and you know we go back a little bit and I don't know if you knew that uh, one of your great guys was Jack Maple was he grew up with me in Ozone Park area, Richmond Hill, Jack Maple, and then you,
1: the late, the late great Jack Maple, the late great Jack Maple,
0: loved him, and and you were able to bring about with you guys working together with this Comstat, where you mobilized wherever there was a problem, if you had burglaries or if you had robberies, you were able to mobilize the manpower to where the crimes were. I mean, it's a was one of the great great crime stopping things and again you just jumped over your books but you did the turnaround uh, you, the profession and also uh, the uh, what they the uh, uh, what's the other one call, call the,
1: the, the second one was called collaborative Parish. it was a uh, leadership management book about how to lead organizations or the private public sector based on some of the successes I had the third book the more recent one that you just referenced is yeah. called the profession and that's a memoir. Uh, memoir, different than biography. It's not just my story, but the story of stories of many of the people I had the good fortune to encounter in my almost fifty-year police career. So there's a lot of great stories in there about cops that I met, uh, people in the private sector, and uh, fifty-year history of policing in America during some very turbulent times. It's
0: a good read. Yeah. And I recommend all the books because you've walked the walk. You did what you had to do. And you know, and again, you you know when I pulled John Timoney out of uh, Philadelphia to come to be my CEO of the private company, John was over here and then John was here with me about two years and then he said, You know Boy, I want to go back in. So he says I'm gonna maybe apply for Miami and I said, Hey John, I love you like a like a brother. And he says, Thank you for being here with me and, uh, you know, it's a lot different in the private sector than in the uh, in the uh, in the police department.
1: Exactly. that. And John, John, just for the purposes of your audience that uh, we identified John, John Timoney was a career uh, NYPD cop uh, born in Ireland, immigrated, uh, still had a wonderful uh, Irish brogue John was one of the smartest cops that I ever worked with. He was my uh, ultimately, my first deputy police commissioner, very close to Jack Maple, John Miller, we and them all in the group I had to work with when we were working with Giuliani. John went to Philadelphia, had great success there, went to work with you, but... Uh, uh, Never really liked the private sector, understandable. And then he had the opportunity to go to Miami and straight Miami out uh, big time. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, after he left, the place fell apart again. Yeah. And the and- uh, last years of his life, he was working over in Bahrain, basically, consulting with them on improving their police practices.
0: Yeah, well, I, I miss John all the time. I was very, very shocked. You know, he used to be a big smoker when we were young cops. He's one after another after another, and I guess that all caught up to him, and he was very in good shape. He was doing that rowing stuff. I remember when he was in Philly, he would be on the river there rowing, 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 and that's where he took... Well,
1: the, the reason he had to take up rowing, Bo, was that he was a runner, a marathoner. He loved to run, run every day but then his feet really gave out. The arches fell, and so effectively what he did, he found a sport. That allowed him to use his arms and his upper body.
0: Sculling. What's that uh, called? Sculling. And, yeah.
1: Yeah, and out there rowing every morning. Uh, he's, a nah. he's a phenomenal athlete.
0: We both we both miss him very 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 much, and Tim. And he was really a great guy. But you know what? You had some kind of unique thing to bring in the best. And I said it, and I've I've said it not too long ago. Probably the most surprising guy that you brought around you was a guy named John Miller. And I, yeah. <laughs> I don't like John Miller. I love John Miller. One of the most intelligent guys I've ever dealt with. And I'll never forget when I used to be up in Harlem there and I was uh, doing all kinds of uh, tricks up there as far as being a detective up there. And John used to show up. He was a reporter. He used to have the old Ford car there with the light on the top and all that. Yeah. And he was a reporter and he would show up. And I'll never forget one time. This is a great story where he's, uh, we had a homicide Lord double homicide. And all of a sudden he's standing in the blood and he goes, Hey Bo, what do you got? I said, I got you standing in the blood, John, get off the, get out of the blood. And uh, John became, and he studied and he knew what he was doing. And he became probably the best intelligence guy that there ever was in any police department and then even with the federal government when he went into the FBI and he just had such a unique ability to take intelligence and disseminate it into real actual working and to protect this country and this city John Miller is and was one of the best I think people that you could have had around you and I even said it to the current mayor, uh, uh, Eric Adams, you should not get rid of John Miller. John Miller is keeping this city safe, and, uh, you know, that's one of the downfalls of losing somebody with that unique ability like John had. I don't know. I don't know who's running it. Maybe Stevie one is running it. I don't know.
1: For purposes of your audience, John Miller, I did have the good fortune to meet through Jack Maple in 94 when I was police commissioner the first time, and he was at that time uh, the hotshot reporter, facing John Gardy all over the city, <laughs> and uh, he wanted to come into the police department. He was always, you know, basically hanging out with cops, and we took a risk. We hired him as the deputy commissioner for public information. He was phenomenal in that role. Uh, when I went to L.A. in 2002, I brought John out as my uh, deputy chief for counterterrorism. Spent a couple of years with me before uh, Bob Mueller hired him at the FBI, and then when I came back in 2014 as commissioner, I brought John back into the NYPD as my deputy commissioner for counterterrorism and intelligence. And John was probably one of the foremost experts on the issue of Islamic terrorism, uh, and now homegrown terrorism, unfortunately. Uh, he's also the first person, Western reporter, to interview Osama bin Laden. John found him in a cave in Afghanistan and has a recording where Osama... I think, has declared war on the United States. And then, unfortunately, few years later, we had the attack on the coal. We had the attack on at some of our embassies, And then, as we all know, on uh, November, uh, uh, excuse me, in September, uh, we had the attack on the World Trade Center. Yeah. And, uh, John Miller was uh, involved in uh, uh, so much of, the
0: history of all of that. Yeah, just, I just. It seems as though your unique ability uh, to, uh, you're, you're a CEO. In reality, when you're the commissioner, see your unique ability to bring in the best of minds. Uh, Just showed you, like you would never have thought of Jack Maple, and I, I used to throw him out of Marufi's bar. There, he used to wear spats and stuff, and uh, and then I would walk on my hands in the bar, and Jack and I would go back and forth. But who would have thought that he had this great vision of this Comstat with you? I'm sure it was developed together, and then he with John and all that. You put unique people around you, and that's the ability of a great CEO. And you know what? and even with one—I'm th- sorry. Go ahead, Bill.
1: They're, they're, no, they're, they're great people, but uh, smart, professional people, but people to have fun with also. Yeah. Had a lot of laughs, uh, and, you know, because you used to hang up there also. Elaine's. Of course. us had many years at Elaine's, fortunately, when that place was still going. And uh, it was just a, a very different time where you could actually, working in the middle of all that crime and crises— yeah. Still have a good time. And
0: we can laugh.
1: And and and, and laugh. And it's a different time now. Things are are just so serious now. There's no humor about anything anymore. And, uh, again, I I loved creating Super Bowl teams. And I was fortunate every department I went into, I was able to attract the best and the brightest. mm. And if there's one thing I do miss about uh, in policing, my police career, those Super Bowl teams I had, a lot of the people you just referenced, and we made a lot of difference in a lot of people's lives, and we've a legacy that we can feel proud
0: about. And I mean, when you, real fast on the L.A. thing, you know, you you took over you took over L.A. in uh, I believe it was uh, 2002 to 2009. Now people don't understand L.A. was really a, uh, a smosh puppet there. Uh, you had that <laughs> Rampart scandal. You had the Rodney King. You had the O.J. Simpson. You had all the riots. And then you came in there and you and you straightened out the L.A. Police Department. And, and that was one of one of your unique abilities to go into the I of the storm and straighten it out. But I'd like to talk about you. You're, I, I think, you're recognized for probably. Uh, I think one of the best things you recognize is this city that I'm sitting in right now, New York City, and what. Is going on now And what's happening With uh, the the crime problem And a few of the issues I want to talk about You know, the ethnic diversity in the PD Then all of a sudden They brought the college education uh, Needed and required But then all of a sudden uh, Now they wiped that out You have a high school diploma Because they couldn't get enough Of manpower And then they brought the salary Up to a real big whopping $55,000 a year Which is non-competitive With anywhere And then all of a sudden we have what we're dealing with the release of these violent felons with the bail reform with these uh, people that are running the assembly and also the state senate and now the worst was and I'd like you to go at each one of these things this new law that they passed where they want to clear misdemeanor and felony records, misdemeanors in three years, felony records in seven years and wiped out. And it's being pushed through again. And I really, and then, and, and again, i have drew I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you, but also I arrested many, many, maybe 1800 felons and all that. I used a headlock. Every time. That wasn't called a chokehold. I never killed anybody, Commissioner. And when cops can't go on diaphragm, headlight, they, they're, they're dealing with a person who you have to fight with. When you have someone resisting arrest and they're six foot two, six foot three, and you got a little guy like me, five foot eight, how do you take him down? These are issues. But let's start with the issue of the bail reform and what you're feeling as far as that goes.
1: Well, let me, uh, for purposes of your listeners, uh, do a quick history recount. Going back to the 90s, we finally got it right about what to do with crime. And why did we get it right? We understood that you needed to focus on serious crime differently. And you talked about that earlier with the CompStat system, where we learned to identify patents and trends much more quickly and put cops on the dots, as we called it. So we were dealing with serious crime more effectively. We had a system, DAs, judges, police, politicians. We were all working together to keep the public safe. But we also understood that what the public sorry day that scared the hell out of them was disorder, the squeegee pest, the fare evasion, the prostitutes, the drug dealers. 8,000 locations openly in New York where you could buy drugs. And we started dealing with that for the first time in 25 years. And we were effective. That was Giuliani's uh, understanding of that issue of not only deal with crime, but deal with disorder with the public sorry every day. And we got both of them fixed. And for 25 years, I proudly talked about New York City would never see crime go up again. Through a succession of mayors, Giuliani, Bloomberg, even de Blasio. De Blasio's first three years was three of the safest years in the history of the city, as much controversial as he has become. But what happened in 2018, after those 25 years of incredible public safety, New York was the safest, largest city in America, The legislature and city council get into the act. The current crime and disorder problem in New York City, in the country, has been politically created. Uh, Politically created because of the crazy laws that they passed. Well intended, they want to deal with issues of mass incarceration and trying to find ways to keep people out of jail, keep people off drugs. But uh, the intentions went totally awry. And what do we now have? We have America in a crime crisis. We have New York in a crime crisis, good news is that there's been some reduction this last year in shootings and homicides, but overall crime is still up by uh, 25, 30, almost 40 percent in the city over what it was be- before 2018-19 when the legislature began to pass the so-called Bail Reform Acts. And in that Bail Reform Acts, they also had raised the age where you Basically, uh, some of these 16, 17-year-old murderers and kids that were just totally out of control and still treated as children, not adults, and they go to family court when nothing happens to them. So we had a compounding of problems created by the legislation of the city council. A lot of powers were taken away from the police since the legislature spent more time attacking the police than attacking the criminals.
0: Right and then I think even with this, this advent of this uh, progressive city council that's in place now oh, every, yeah. every action against the cops they just push it through and they approve it and there's something important because you are a crime guy and I'm going to tell you when, when I talk about statistics that I get from the CDC or the FBI and the reality about what's happening since 2020, when we had the Black Lives Matter riots across this country and people committing felonies, assaults, burning, arsons, everything. And there was no kind of law enforcement. There was no kind of uh, no no kind of arrest properly being made against these violent people that were doing. And I'm not talking about peaceful protests. I'm talking about these violent people setting fires, uh, destroying property, beating people up, and no one was prosecuted. Then, 2022— 2022, we had 23,000 000- Murders, 23, uh, 23, excuse me, 21,000 murders with handguns across this country. Of that uh, 21,000 murders across this country, something like 80% were black-on-black crime, which happens in Chicago, which I've been outspoken since I was a Fox News contributor in the beginning 20 years ago when we had an average of 6 to 700 young blacks, mostly young blacks, that were killed. No one seems to care about that. And then all of a sudden, when we have a, a, a... A active shooter, Bill, everybody, oh my God, active shooter, AK-47. It ain't the person pulling, it ain't the gun, it's the person pulling the trigger. But more deaths are caused by these illegal handguns and we don't want to get our hands around it. And one of my big things to Eric Adams was, Eric, we've got to try to utilize the federal gun laws that are in place. If we start prosecuting people with guns who are convicted felons, now they're looking at the 10 to 15 year minimum on the federal charge. You'll see a lot of these people going to jail and getting off the, off the, uh, you know, getting off the rolls of them shooting people. So I just want you to feel one thing. Everybody could talk about crime being down. When you got 21,000 murders, I'm talking about the uh, illegal handgun murders across this country, mostly on black-on-black on black crime, maybe the 80%. This is a problem, and no one, it's not politically advantageous for us to go after them. Why? Why is, I, I'm crying out to you, why aren't we going after this?
1: It's what changed, uh, Uh, Well, beginning in 2018-19, we had a series of events that created what I would describe as the perfect storm. We had uh, progressive left legislation that uh, was increasingly making it more difficult to police America's cities and suburbs. We had COVID, which shut down the criminal justice system basically for a year, two years in some instances. Uh, But COVID did not caused the crime increase. That was caused politically by our legislatures around the country. COVID impacted it dramatically. But now we have the continuation of another event, which was the, the murder of George Floyd. And that really put American policing back on its heels. And we still have not recovered from that, where most police departments are still not as assertive as they once were. And we have the compounding factor of an awful lot of our more seasoned veteran cops left the job because they were so frustrated with constantly being attacked and undermined by the politicians and their own lives being put at significant risk. And now we're having great difficulty recruiting. You just raised a point, which I'm very concerned about. In that effort to get more recruits, we're lowering standards. One of the most important jobs in America is a police officer. That person, that young person, has the ability to take your life, has the ability to take your liberty. And we want to lower the standards for hiring them. We want to lower the education standards. We want to do away with some of the tests. To ensure that you've got the best people.
0: And even so f- even doctor, physically, even physically, Bill, you know yourself, you were, you were a street cop, and I certainly was, you know, I was one of the original decoys where I was mugged 500 times, stabbed, shot at, everything else. I was hospitalized 30 times. But you've got to have physical strength. If you don't have physical strength, and when I came on the force, it was five foot eight. I just made it. I had to lay on the floor overnight. Now you, and with all respect, you have cops that look like they're four foot tall, and now you have uh, people who are not physically able to handle somebody. So when they take the gun out, they, they get laughed at. What do you do next? Shoot the Shoot the uh, perpetrator. And this is some, one of the issues that I've been so outspoken about. You have to have police officers that are physically able to handle people. Also, most, in, most important, you have to have police officers there who are smart and being able to deal with people. If they're not going to be able to deal with them, it's going to become... Worse and worse.
1: Well, well, as you know, one of the most potent weapons that a police officer can use is his verbal skills, his or her verbal skills. So most of the physical requirements for cops now are intended to give them at least the minimum physical ability to deal with a lot of what they encounter. But so much of what they encounter uh, can be resolved by effectively uh, better verbal skills, better training, better uh, ability to de-escalate a situation. And it's one of the dilemmas that uh, we clearly do not train our officers enough initially or throughout their careers. So there's a lot of problems out there, and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at the moment, uh, we're not in a good place. That's the reality. We are not in a good place. we are in a good place for 25 years, but these last five years have been very challenging. And it's going to take us, unfortunately, I think, years to get it right again, to fix it. And uh, even the ability to predict that we can do that, uh, at the moment, uh, I'd have to be very cautious about making that prediction. You know, Ironically, back in the 90s, when crime was a lot worse than it is now, I had to believe, uh, I was very comfortable making a prediction with Giuliani when he hired me. I'll get crime down for you by 40% in three years. And after I left, after three years with him, it was down 39%. I would not be able to make that prediction today, because why?
0: You don't have the don't
1: tools. Have we don't have a criminal justice system. We don't have a tools. We have district attorneys that work against us. We have a legislature and city council that effectively hate cops. That's mm. the reality in this state and city. They do not like cops and spend more of their time working against cops than working with them. Wow. So it's a, a policeman's lot is not a happy one. Um, can it, be it can, but it's gonna take, uh, take a while. It's gonna take a lot of building of consensus and. We have to remain optimistic, and uh, like you tried to do, you have to speak out about it, you have to try to find common ground that we can all stand on, and yeah. it because ultimately we either go, go up with, uh, with, with the rising tide or we drown in the uh, ebbing the tide.
0: You know, when, when we talk about the 1990s when you were the commissioner, I just had a beautiful, beautiful feeling. And I said, I wish to God that we could turn the clock back when you were running the uh, New York City Police Department. It was a good feeling because people always ask me, well, Bo, you were a cop in, from, in the 1970s and 1980s. It was bad out there. I said it was different because we could go out after these gangs. We could go out after these murders. We could do what we are supposed to do and bring justice to people. But today, the cops are handcuffed. They cannot do anything. And I see it in my eyes when they just back away. They're sitting in their car down the block drinking coffee. They don't want to pr- be proactive. And if you're not proactive, hey, look at Stop and frisk is one of the great tools that we've had. It shouldn't have been overworked or whatever. But I've taken a lot of illegal guns. If One leg was longer than the other one. The bulge, how a person acts. I could go into the grand jury. That's an tangible thing. But the thing is today is people don't understand we're going into this whirlpool that cops are not doing their jobs because they don't want to get involved. They don't want to lose their job. They don't want to lose their pension. And now these fools are to- bringing legislation where you could sue them civilly. Why would you want to do anything? And I can understand it. And I'm, I'm outraged about what's going on, Bill. And one thing about you, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care about politics. And I, I think politics all suck. On both sides, they all suck. And Trump sucks, Biden sucks, and I'm sorry to say that. I'm tired of both of them. We need new blood, but when you start to utilize the uh, politicalization of the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office, even with that Durham report... That's the Department of Justice. The FBI is justice. We cannot be utilizing them with any kind of politicalization, whether it be for Donald Duck Trump or whether it be for no, no uh, brain eye, uh, Biden walking around crashing into things. We cannot utilize our FBI or our U.S. attorney's office for political anything. And I think you feel Very similar to me because I had Ray Kelly on uh, not too a couple of weeks ago, and he said the biggest threat was utilizing the Justice Department and the FBI for political stuff. What's your feeling on that, Bratton? And and I know the way you feel about this bill because you're a really good American. Well, it's not just
1: not just the FBI, bo, It's the criminal justice system has to be impartial. (laughs) Has to be, uh, as I describe myself, I'm a centrist. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. Some issues I lean to the left, some I lean to the right. But in my police role, I always try to be impartial. You go, you go where the truth takes you. You go where the evidence takes you. And uh, you know, certainly right now we're a country that's very divided around this issue of uh, the idea of is there true justice in the country? And uh, we're in couple times. I think we're all frustrated.
0: I'm scared. Uh, I'm scared. Where
1: we're we're, we're going, uh, God only knows the moment. But the idea is going back to my point about this crime crisis being politically created uh, by who? By the politicians. But who elects the politicians? Mm. We do the public. And so what is necessary is effectively if we want to blame somebody, we have to blame ourselves. We have to blame uh, basically the voters who vote these characters into office that have created the mess that we're in. And how you change the minds of, right now we're pretty evenly divided, uh, well, I should say that, about uh, 30% Republican, 30% Democrat, and interesting enough, about 40% like myself in the center. And it's that 40% that we got to work on, because the 30% on the Republican side, they're not going to change the mind. The 30% on the progressive left are not going to change their mind. But it's the reasonable center. People in the middle, yourself, myself, who are frustrated with both the right and the left. who so we're going to have to, with their votes, try to bring this country back to sanity.
0: Well, that that probably is the best evaluation of where we're at right now, Bill, and we're going to wind down right now, but I want to tell you something. You hit the nail on the head there, but like even with the election in New York State or whatever the heck's going on, the big issue was the majority of minority communities are the victims of the crimes, where the shootings are, where the murders are, and I mean, these are good people that should be reaching out for law and order to protect themselves and their families, and when they all of a sudden vote because uh, Al Sharpton wants them to vote in one, one way and uh, where they do this progressive nonsense against hate the cops. Well, if you hate the cops, who the hell are you going to call when someone's breaking into your house? Or if you hate the cops when you got the gang on the street shooting up your area, who are you going to call? I mean, it's just so bad. I, I, I'm scared. You know, Bill, I honestly can say I'm 72 years old. This is the first time I'm really scared about what our futures. I got grandchildren. I got children in the city. I got grandchildren in the city. I'm scared. But I'm going to tell you something. What a great, great interview, uh, uh Bill. And I'm going to tell you, you, you are and you are one of the greatest commissioners we ever had. But in reality, you have a mind. I love that centrist thing. I, I think I could. Can, may I use that, that I'm a centrist also? <laughs>
1: happy to you, it, even without
0: attribution. All right, thank you. And Bill, I love you very much for doing the show, and please send my love to Ricky, and I'll see you out there, you know where. Okay, my friend, and have a great, great day.
1: Thank you. We'll see you out at the, we'll the Canal
0: Cafe. All right, my friend. Thank you. Bye-bye.